Well, we are continuing our series called Instead. Last week, Reverend Grant was here and talked about five tests every dreamer must pass. Good message. It's on the website, goodhope.ag. You can go listen to it there if you weren't here last week. Five tests every dreamer must pass. But we're going to jump back into Instead, and we'll be in week four. Basically, what we're doing is we're talking about replacing the old with the new. Instead of doing this, instead of thinking this way, we replace that with doing godly things and thinking in godly ways. It's basically Romans 12, 2 applied in a variety of circumstances. So Romans 12, 2, the first half says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many people believe in the transforming power of the gospel? Amen. Amen. And the Uh, There's, I suppose, many methodologies for that, but a significant part of this transformation comes through the renewing of your mind by seeing and understanding the world in a different way, seeing and understanding yourself and your relationships in a different way, seeing and understanding Almighty God in a different way, in the right way, in a way more accurate to God's truth. And so we want to replace old thinking with new. We can't stay in the old and also have this transformation. We have to walk through it. And so this instead sermon series is about replacing the old with the new. Because if we just try to not do the old, it doesn't work very well. You know, I've done this before. I suppose we've got a couple extra minutes, so life is good somehow. Uh, So here's our little experiment. I want you to not think about unicorns for the next 15 seconds. Don't think about pink unicorns. Don't think about blue unicorns. Don't think about sparkly unicorns that can fly, that have beautiful white wings and white flowing manes and rainbow-colored horns. Don't think about any of those types of unicorns. How are you doing? That's a challenge, right? (laughs) All right, now, okay, don't think about unicorns. Instead, think about alligators. Great big alligators. I saw a YouTube video. This dude had a big long pole with the chicken hanging off, a raw chicken hanging off the end of it. And he'd start dipping it in the water in this enclosure and this like 25 foot alligator thing was this big around, came out of the water and came to eat this chicken. It was an amazing, incredible, scary, wild thing. So are you thinking about unicorns now? thinking about alligators, right? See how it's very helpful if we replace the old with the new. So if you're trying to not think in a particular way, just not doing it, you're trying to not do the wrong thing, just not doing it. It's important to do something else, to think in a different way, to replace that. Then we fill the void and we're able to move forward more effectively with this challenge of grabbing hold of the new life in Christ. And so this week we're going to talk about instead turn your cheek so let's pray we'll get into new material this morning so heavenly father thank you for your holy scriptures thank you lord for your word thank you father that we don't uh, have to just try to figure it out on our own and wander around do the best we can but you guide us lord by your holy scriptures and by your holy spirit and so father guide us this morning show us something good Each one of us is dealing with different things. We're fighting different parts of the battle, and we need a different touch from you. And so, Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you would touch us right now through this next half hour 
with exactly what we need so that we can believe in you better, serve you more effectively, get free from stuff that's holding us back, and Lord, just be able to walk into the life you've got for us a little better. So Father, bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn your cheek. Probably one of the five most iconic teachings of Christ is the divine de-escalation technique of turn the other cheek. So Jesus says if somebody slaps you in one cheek, you turn them the other one also. And this is a de-escalation technique instead of the escalation process. So like somebody says something mean and then the other person slaps them and then the next person punches them and then the other person throws them on the ground. The other person, you know, pulls out a knife and you get this escalation problem. And that's not good. We don't want escalation. We want the problem to be de-escalated. And so Jesus deals with this in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, starting in verse 38. Let's read through this, uh, get a kind of a, a picture of what Jesus is talking about with turning the other cheek. So Matthew 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your jacket as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So did Jesus come to lower the bar in serving God or to raise the bar in serving God? He raised the bar. So the law is primarily about outward action. And Jesus here is throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He's taking outward action and putting it in the heart, applying it to the heart. And he's raising the bar. And here he says, be perfect meaning that our love for others, our concern for others, our desire to serve God in this world should not be based on favoritism and friendship, but should be universal, just like God's love. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the entire world, not for some people that he likes better than others or that are on uh, his side on various issues, but for the sins of the entire world. And we are to participate in that the same way by sharing God. God's love by greeting those who are on opposing sides, by praying for and loving our enemies. And that is the perfection that Jesus expects of his people. Can you see this is black belt level stuff? This is top level. This isn't just simple like, oh, okay. Well, since you told me, I guess it's going to be, that's just what I'll do. We have to fight to get there. We have to grow and learn and get to the place. And so this morning we are going to kind of work through this process 
of trying to replace offense and intolerance and ugly pride with kindness and influence and peace. Our instead verse comes from 2 Timothy 2, uh, 23 and 24. And so here's what we replace. 2 Timothy. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. So should we have stuff to do with foolish and stupid arguments? No, not helpful. Because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. So instead of quarreling, instead of this strife, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. So we're going to replace this strife, this quarreling, this fighting with kindness, the ability to teach, and not being resentful. Now, there's a core competency, a core Christian competency that we must deal with if we're going to be able to turn the other cheek. And that is the ability to bear unjust suffering. How do you feel this morning? Feeling happy? We're going to talk about bearing unjust suffering and how that is a core competency of the follower of Christ. Did you know that this world is unjust? This world is messed up. You will interact, and of course you have interacted, with injustice, with evil and darkness. And you have to figure out how to handle that. Right? You've got to figure out, how am I going to walk through this injustice? Am I going to uh, you know, start blowing stuff up? Am I going to start self-destructing? What am I going to do in the face of injustice? Let's look into 1 Peter and see what some biblical instructions are on how to deal with injustice. And this is applied to one of the greatest injustices in the history of the world. Starting 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Slaves, submit to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Would you consider slavery to be a grave injustice? Well, yeah. <laughs> Human life is sacred. To subject someone to slavery is an affront to God, And it's a horrible injustice just from a human rights perspective. But here in the scriptures, it says, slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, even to the bad ones. Let's keep going. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. Is this claiming that slavery is perfectly fine? Not at all. It's saying unjust suffering. This is wrong. It's morally wrong. It's, it's just unjust. However, the world is messed up and you will have to face injustice from time to time. And it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because of a consciousness of God, because of seeing something more important in the scenario than getting personal justice at that moment or reacting against it. Let's keep reading verse 20. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? So, 
<laughs> so if, if you're just getting the consequences of your own misbehavior, then there isn't any commendation before God for that. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Super. To bearing up under unjust suffering. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So there are times where Jesus, you know, he died on the cross as our substitute. We aren't to die on the cross. We can't be a sacrifice for someone else's sins. We can only receive Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. He is our replacement, our substitute in that respect. But in other respects, he's our example. And in bearing up under unjust suffering, Jesus is our example, and we should follow in his steps. Verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Have you ever been in an unjust situation? You've been wronged, and so you just throw out some threats. Oh, yeah, you know what I'm going to do to you? And you just, there's threats. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to his Father in heaven. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's it. All right. So instead of threats, Jesus entrusted himself to God. Now, there's a few important things that we need to talk about with this because a great, another great core competency within Christianity, uh, besides learning how to bear unjust suffering, is learning when to apply various scriptures. Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. Did he always turn the other cheek? Did he always de-escalate the situation? Or were there times when he escalated the situation? He went into the temple and started flipping over the tables of the money changers. He healed people on the Sabbath specifically to irritate the religious people. He escalated situations from time to time, but he also says turn the other cheek. So we have to decide when do we apply a certain scripture, when do we apply another? When do we apply turn the other cheek and when do we apply uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, expel the immoral brother? Expel the immoral brother and turn the other cheek are very different things. And so it's really important to be able to have some understanding of when to apply certain scriptural principles because what can happen with this turn the other cheek thing is it can become an excuse to subjugate people. It can be something that's used to bring abuse on people. You need to turn the other cheek. If you're a believer, you need to deal with this and not come against it. Let me tell you, if you are in an abusive situation, just get out. You can protect yourself. That's not what turn the other cheek means, is that you have to stay in a bad situation, in a dangerous situation. That's not what this is talking about. Don't take it too far and become an enabler to darkness. Jesus didn't always de-escalate. He took a stand 
sometimes and you have to know when to take your stand. This turn the other cheek thing is when you're trying to be the bigger person and you're trying to help out the other person. It could be a situation where uh, in this world you might be lower in the chain of command, and so you're bearing under unjust suffering for the benefit of the other person, but this isn't something that should be an excuse for abuse and enabling and and these sorts of problems. So make sure you apply these things properly. Let's look at the greater context of 2 Timothy chapter 2. So we're going to go, starting in verse 14, we're going to work through this. So Timothy is a book written to uh, a guy named Timothy. He's a young man and he's a ministry guy. So he's a new ministry person. He's, he's, uh, really needing help from a mentor, and that's the Apostle Paul. And so Paul writes a couple of books to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and he's telling him how to manage the church and how to manage ministry situations, and he's trying to help him out. And so that's the context of this situation of, of First and Second Timothy. And so as we read this, it's from a mentor trying to help out somebody who's fairly new in a ministry situation. And so Timothy is a church leader, and Paul is a seasoned church leader and trying to help Timothy out. So let's back up to verse 14 of chapter 2 and kind of work our way through and see uh, what the context is. There's some incredible things here in these verses. So starting in verse 14, keep reminding them of these things. So there's important stuff before this. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. So here Paul says to Timothy, warn the people not to quarrel about words. Warn them not to get into just arguments over nothing. Why? It's of no value and it ruins those who listen. I just thought that was an amazing thing. It doesn't say that it ruins those who quarrel. It said it ruins those who listen. Of course, those who quarrel are affected, but in a church context, in a family context, in a business context, in a school friendship context, when we have quarreling, it doesn't just affect the people who are quarreling. It affects everyone else that's aware of it. And so what this is saying Keep the church people from fighting with each other because it'll ruin the people who are watching it happen. It will damage them. How many people have been negatively affected by church squabbles and church fighting? How many people have been negatively affected that that they weren't even involved in? How about family squabbles and family fights that you're not even involved in? But you're listening to it. You're there and it, it does damage to you. So we need to be careful about quarreling, not just for ourselves, but for those who are, are impacted, who aren't even involved, but who are aware of the situation. It ruins those who listen. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. So again, we see speaking coming out. This is, you know, when we turn the other cheek, when we de-escalate situations, very rarely is it actually a physical confrontation. 
Very rarely is it actually you're, you're getting cheeks slapped. This is mostly figurative, and what it's talking about is the words that we use. So instead of speaking threats, instead of speaking evil, speaking violence, speaking darkness, instead of that, we bear up under unjust suffering. And so we must be very careful how we speak. So quarreling, uh, fighting back, godless chatter, these are bad ways of speaking that we need to avoid and instead turn the other cheek. So we don't want to indulge in godless chatter. Have you ever had something just come up in you and you knew you could repress it, but you indulged yourself and let yourself say it anyway? That's what this is, indulging in godless chatter. Instead of having the self-discipline to realize I shouldn't say that, you let it out. And that does damage, and it causes people to become more and more ungodly. Now, what is this godless chatter? Verse 17. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. So this isn't necessarily confined to just saying dumb, sinful stuff, but this is about undisciplined theological discussions. This is about talking about the things of God and just like sharing your opinion instead of looking at the scriptures and reverently trying to discover the truth, but just throwing out whatever you want. For whatever reason in our culture, we feel like if it's a religious thing, we can just make it up. Well, you don't get to do that. We don't get to make up doctrine. We must discover the truth of God and submit ourselves to the truth of God. These guys were talking about that the resurrection had already taken place. Well, it, you know, not the resurrection of Jesus, but the resurrection of the dead at the end. Like, well, that still hasn't happened yet. And it was doing damage. It was hurting people. So instead of doing that, verse 19. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So instead of indulging in godless chatter, turn away from wickedness and trust in the fact that God knows who are his. (sighs) Timothy is working to be noble. Let's jump to verse 22. Verse 22. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So instead of indulging in godless chatter, instead of getting caught up in quarrels, instead pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Now, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, and we are perfectly forgiven. So why would we need to pursue anything? Aren't we completely righteous right off the bat because we're completely forgiven? Or is there a process of learning to become righteous, of learning how to have greater faith, of growing in our love, of growing in the peace we have in our hearts in the midst of the storm? We must strive after and fight for and get there because, again, this turning the other cheek thing, it's a black belt level Christian skill. We've all heard it. But, man, you get slapped, it's a little tough. Right? 
<laughs> somebody disrespects you that way, says a bunch of evil things about you, to you, in front of somebody else, and ah, something else happens. So we must pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with the other people who are actively grabbing hold of the things of God. It's a process, and we fight for it. We reach for it. Then we get to what we've already read, verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Now, quarrels are a problem because remember, quarrels affect the hearer, ruin those who listen. So if if God's people are quarreling, if church leadership are quarreling, it's going to hurt the other people. Verse 24. 24, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Let's finish this section up. We'll go back to 24. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So we see here a profoundly important assumption that the the person of God, the person following God who's bearing up under unjust suffering is actually not the person doing the harm. That the other person is actually the one who's been fooled by the devil, who's been taken captive to do the enemy's will. And so our job is to try to free them from that trap, not to get offended by the fact that they've been fooled by the enemy. However, sometimes it's hard to tell. Because if you're in that trap, do you know it? Did Judas think, wow, I'm just messing up completely. I'm I'm the bad guy. I guess I'll keep going. Were the Pharisees thinking, yeah, we're bad. (laughs) And uh, these new people are right, but we're just going to keep being bad. They didn't realize it. They didn't understand. So we need to be very careful to recognize whether or not we're actually the one in the right. How do you know? We'll have to talk about that another day. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a great answer to have? Well, here, here's how you can know. You read about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and if your heart condition is the fruits of the Spirit, then you're in the right. If your heart condition is the evil things that are talked about before that, then you're in the wrong. It, So your heart is in the wrong place. That's how you can tell. Three things we do instead from 2 Timothy 2.24. Instead. So the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must turn the other cheek. And what that means is be kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. Be kind to everyone. So this is back to Matthew 5, 46 and 47 that we read earlier from the Sermon on the Mount. Not just kind to your friends, not just kind to the people who agree with you, not just kind to the people who are like you, but kind to everyone, which Jesus had already talked about. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? 
Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than that? Let's talk about publicly acknowledging other people. If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Instead, we are to be kind to everyone. Kind to everyone. And then able to teach. Back to 2 Timothy 2.24. Able to teach is the second one. He must be kind to everyone, able to teach. So if you're not kind to everyone, if instead you quarrel, if instead you get caught up in foolish and stupid arguments, then your capacity for influence is gone. Right? If you slap me and I slap you back, what's going to be remembered? You know, now I have some wonderful advice for you. It's, it's gone. The opportunity to teach is gone. The opportunity for influence is gone once we fight back. He must be kind to everyone and able to teach. Now, I was freed from having to fix everybody by Proverbs 9, 7 through 9. You know, we need to shine our light in the dark world. We need to make a difference for people. But you also have to pick your battles and you have to see where there's an opportunity. Right? And let's go to Proverbs chapter 9, which is some fantastic, very helpful stuff when it comes to when do you correct and when do you just hold back? Proverbs 9, starting verse 7. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. So there are times when you just hold back because all that's going to happen is the other person's going to get really mad and attack you. In whatever way. Well, why bother with that? It's a waste of time and emotional energy, and it's a painful thing. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Instruct a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will add to his learning. So you look for an opportunity to make a real difference with the person who has ears to hear. If they have ears to hear, go ahead and share. How many people, you know, I'm one of them, have had somebody tell you the truth, but you were upset about it and you didn't want to hear it and so you didn't listen to it? (laughs) It's one of those deals. And so we need to not be the mocker. We need to be the wise man who, when instructed, becomes wiser still. And then not resentful. Back to... Verse 24, not resentful. So instead of quarreling, kind to everyone, able to teach, and not resentful. This, in digging into what this not resentful means, some translations are patient, patient in unjust suffering, uh, forbearing. What it means is that the situation doesn't make you all angry and all hurt and all uh, upset. That's what it means is that instead of being all upset in the moment, we rise above it and see it from a different perspective. Not resentful. Have you ever been in a, a conflict and you became resentful? You became hurt or angry or disgusted. What this means is that when you're wronged, when you're bearing up under unjust suffering, that your heart reaction isn't dark. 
This is black belt level stuff. Because what normally happens is when somebody does something horrible to you or to somebody that you love, you get all angry or you get all hurt or it's just in there. And it's hard. Have you ever tried to get that out? And it's just in there. And here's what happens when when someone sins against you or someone you love, it creates a connection. It creates a bond between you. It's a, it's a negative bond, but it's a bond. If you have somebody do something evil to you and you think about them, you think about what they've done, you're upset about it, you're, you're just like, ah, you know, you're, you're resentful. And what we need to do is to get free from that and rise above it. And just real quickly, how I see that, my mind picture for the sin bond is an old whaling ship. You know, the the harpoon with the rope on it. And so the, the sin is the harpoon shooting and sticks in. And then it's connected by that tether to the boat. And so the whale is swimming around with this harpoon stuck in it and pulling the boat. And then in the meantime, they're trying to get it with more harpoons. But the whale must break the bond in order to get free and begin the healing process. And so when someone sins against us or against someone we love and we feel that connection, we must forgive and break the bond and release it to God. Now, where is that? It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. That's Romans 12, 19. Let's read Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So in order for us to break that bond and release it to God, it's helpful to know their knee will bow before God and they will answer for what they've done. I'm not forgiving them between them and God. I'm just forgiving them between them and me. I'm releasing it. I'm releasing the debt to me, but they still owe God for hurting someone on this earth and they will have to face God. And so if I can recognize that when I release them, it, it, breaks the bond, and now I can begin the healing process. It then helps me also to be able to rise above the circumstance and to not be resentful, to not be hurt, not be angry, not be disgusted when we see the injustice and the horror of this world, but to rise above it. This really is talking about being the bigger person. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to pray here. Is this challenging? Is this whole, instead of uh, retaliating, turn the other cheek, is this a challenge? Man, the whole not be resentful, don't let it into your heart to where you have all these icky things. You know, I could have, if I had that skill, my life would be so much better. You know what I mean? Like, don't you just have to deal with icky people and it does get into your heart? This is a, this is a top level thing. 
But if we know that we don't have the power in ourselves to get here, then we know that God's plan is greater than our strength and we can trust God for it. I remember almost 20 years ago when it was time for me to start looking at going into ministry and becoming a preacher man. And I had this wave of fear go over me in the church service of, I can't do that. And then about five seconds later, a wave of peace went over me with the realization, I can't do that. If I can't do it, then God must have another plan. There must be power from some other source than just my gritting my teeth. And that is the power of God to change our lives, the power of the Holy Spirit to push out darkness and bring in the fruits of the Spirit. And so as we deal with difficult people, as we have opportunities to bear up under unjust suffering, We need power from God because let me ask you this question. How come that difficult person is difficult? How come that person who is ugly got that way? I love two and three-year-olds. They talk about the terrible twos. I think twos are great. The kids are awesome. How many ugly-hearted two-year-olds do you see? So what happened from two to age 50? What what was in there that brought that? Does that person need to be hated more? That person needs to be loved. Does that person need to be pushed away more? That person needs to be understood and embraced. And in order to do that, you've got to rise above the situation and be able to care about them rather than be all upset and mad at them. Let's pray for that ability from God. Because if you've got it, great. I know for me, I need the power of God. And then maybe you're that difficult person. You don't have to be that way. There's a better way. There's a way to let the love of God into your heart so that you can be a light to this world for kindness and for peace and for love and for justice. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to just touch us this morning. Then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. When it's time for personal prayer, just come on up and get prayer. It doesn't matter what the need is. You want to start a relationship with Jesus, come get prayer. You need a physical healing, a relationship restored, a financial miracle. You don't even know why you're coming up, but you feel like you should. Come up and get prayer. Let's pray together here now to ask God for help with this turning the other cheek thing. Heavenly Father, We do face unjust suffering from time to time, even though we live in this fantastic country. Lord, there still is evil. There still is darkness. There still is hatred. There still is violence. There still is ugliness. Father, help us to trust you, to commit things to you, so that in the midst of an ugly world, we can be a light for your love, for your peace, for your joy. But Father, we... I know for me, and I'm sure for many others, it's a struggle. When, when evil hits us, we react against it, and it's hard. 
But Father, people need love. People need to be understood. People need to have someone in their life. And the more difficult they are to deal with, the more they need someone like that. So Father, give us the ability to rise above the circumstance. Give us the ability to not take things personally, but see the need that's there. And Lord, help us to cooperate with what you've done on the cross to set people free. You didn't take it personally, and you are our example. So Father, help us. We're asking you because we don't have the capacity ourselves, but we know that there's power with your spirit to get to that place. So I pray you would impart that upon us this morning. And Father, I pray a blessing over each person that's in this place. Lord, let your peace be on our hearts. Lord, whatever we're going through, let your peace be on us. And Father, we know that your joy is our strength. Lord, if we're hurting and and down, we are weak. So Father, let us be filled with joy knowing that you've got things under control, that you are bigger than our circumstances, and that we've got a great future with you. And Father, let us know the love you have for us in its fullness, in its completeness, in its power, that we may be filled up with your love and have an overflow that we can share with anyone in this world. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name, amen.